The Cardinals significantly backloaded the free agent contract for new pitcher Sonny Gray. Is that a smoking gun for more moves to come for St. Louis? Coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It's the evening hours of Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Crazy week at my house. The next week is not going to be much better. Probably won't hear a ton from me between now and the winter meetings in Nashville, which I will be down there at the winter meetings, so you can hope to expect daily episodes or at least some check-ins for everything going on out there in Nashville. Hoping to find a way to sneak away from the crowds and do some recording for you guys here on the YouTube channel and on the podcast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts to subscribe to B-Shape Daily, youtube.com slash at B-Shafer 12. Click the subscribe button if you're watching or listening over on YouTube right now. Appreciate you guys for all the support. But before the winter meetings dispatch, which those begin, I think it is technically Sunday, I'll be there for whatever goes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'll be back home to St. Louis after that. I wanted to get into, though, the news, I guess you could call it news, that has come out on social media the last couple of days. I think I saw it first from John Becker of Fangraphs. I want to make sure I attribute that correctly. He put this out and said, not 100% sure if anybody had reported this previously, but Sonny Gray's contract, yeah, it's backloaded. And rather significantly so for as much as you can probably do with a three-year contract. And so that has sent a lot of Cardinals fans into speculation mode. I think somewhat rightfully so as to why the Cardinals go to the lengths that they went to to backload this contract on a three-year deal. The numbers here, reading this now from a John Heyman tweet because he had some information on the option info as well. Sonny Gray, $10 million dollars will be his salary for 2024, the upcoming season. And then in 2025, he will make $25 million, which is the average annual value on the deal. But then in 2026, it comes time to pay the piper. $35 million for Sonny Gray in 2026. So basically the Cardinals taking $15 million of that and deferring it onto the final year of his contract to where they're they're only going to pay him $10 million up front in 2024 on an AAV of $25 million. Pretty significant in terms of the differential there on a three-year contract. Why would the Cardinals go to those lengths? It could just be some tricks of the accounting, and that's the way that they prefer it because we know that they've done deferred money, backloaded types of contracts previously. Uh, Adam Wainwright's, most recent contract. It was just a one-year deal, but I think he's getting deferred money for like a decade or so. So it's not totally uncommon that the Cardinals would go this route, but it is very interesting, I think, that in an offseason where we know they're doing some spending and, and talking about that magical number of $200 million, people see, oh, well, they're only paying $10 million to Sonny Gray for this coming season. So that maybe opens up more opportunity to play around with the payroll and and add some more key pieces. So we'll play factor fiction a little bit with our take on that question today on Be Shafe Daily. One more quick reminder, if you guys would be so kind as to subscribe, I don't think you'll want to miss our dispatches coming up from the winter meetings out in Nashville as we 
kind of take the pulse of what's going on with the Cardinals. Maybe it won't be too active of a week, given that the Cardinals have done a lot of their heavy hitting in the starting rotation department already. But you never know. I think there is still uh, plenty that's left to be done. The trade market, will this be the year that the Cardinals heat things up on the trade market out at the winter meetings? That would be a lot of fun. It's been a, a number of years since we've seen that. So stay tuned. Be safe daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and would love for you to be along for the ride here on YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. Just click subscribe, click like on this video, and we'll be off and rolling. So fact or fiction, the Cardinals backloaded the Sonny Gray contract in order to make another big expenditure for 2024. Be able to have the room in the payroll, and room in the budget to make one of those big splashes happen. Another one of them, perhaps. My take on that is by itself, it's more fiction because I think, again, these are moves that the Cardinals have made previously, maybe not to this degree, backloading a three-year contract to this extent, but it has been standard operating procedure at times to to do this with contracts and to uh, delay the gratification of those payments at times. It is kind of interesting, though, because I got some questions that uh, it didn't track for me the, the question, but I understand why it's being asked because people just may not really know, and they may be trying to do some dot connecting and say, hey, Bally Sports is filing for bankruptcy and all these stories coming out about they might not be doing Cardinals games past this coming September. I mean, they are leaving the broadcast business and things are about to change in a major way on the, the Cardinals telecast front. Is this why the Cardinals are doing that? Well, if you stop and think for a moment, it, I think it very quickly becomes clear that no, it's not that would not be a justification. If anything, it would make more sense for the Cardinals to front load a contract during the moments where they are being paid by Bally Sports. The checks are clearing so far, so they've got that that payment that they expected, and it's coming in. What happens when that stops coming in? Well, I, I would say future years would be the years that would be uh, the most perilous in that regard because you don't know 2025, 2026, what what that's going to look like financially. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Cardinals have had this constant revenue stream that they've been able to rely upon. Pretty good TV contract that they're happy with. But when that money stops flowing in and you have to figure out another way to, to gain some resources back from a TV rights deal, whatever form that may take, streaming or otherwise, that's where the uncertainty would come in. So to me... It almost would be a signal that, like, hey, the Cardinals aren't overly concerned. It's not to say they're not concerned at all. I think the Cardinals, as we've talked about, Bill DeWitt III, uh, acutely aware of of everything going on with the broadcast situation, and so is MLB. They're hiring these TV executives to newly created positions, essentially, within the MLB umbrella. They're going to have a plan, and... I don't know if it's going to be a great one for fans. It depends, I think, what they charge. Do they let you buy a package that's just your team? 
or do you have to do like the NFL Sunday ticket where you you buy every game, every team, an MLB TV sort of thing where there's no blackouts? Like it's it's not really clear what they're going to do and whether it's going to be beneficial for baseball fans or not. Hopefully MLB gets it right. But the point is the people inside the league and I think with inside the Cardinals specifically are on top of it. And if you sign a contract with Sonny Gray, $25 million per year, and you say, hey, this year, let's not pay you that much, but in three years, we're going to pay you $35 million for, at that point, a 36-year-old Sonny Gray who may not be producing at the level that he just did a year ago, right, when he ages a little bit more. But to me, that would say, hey, the Cardinals are not overly concerned about the, the murkiness surrounding the, the revenue streams. Because they're saying, yeah, we can kick the can down the road and we know the money's going to be there. That's at least what it says to me. I'm no expert accountant, but I feel like that would be at least on the surface level what would make sense there. If anybody's smarter than me and has a different take, I'm great with that. Throw it in the YouTube comment section below. But no, I don't think the Sonny Gray backloading of a contract is because they're concerned about the TV situation. The, The money is there now from that. And if anything, it's a little murkier down the road. So that would almost be a contrasting approach if that was their main concern. So that's my quick explanation on that. I don't think it's relevant to the Bally thing. But what about the notion that the Cardinals are just backloading a contract because they are trying to get the most out of this 2024 roster and this 2024 payroll by being able to add more to the roster? I think it could be plausible, but maybe not in the major way that people are hoping, right? Because the first thought initially when you see those numbers, is going to be, oh, maybe the Cardinals aren't out on Yoshi Yamamoto. Maybe they can get him too. I don't know about that. First of all, it's not that I I think they would just be out on him. Like, they've scouted him. They've spent time trying to cultivate that relationship. So I am sure that they would not close the door necessarily on pursuing it. But as we talked about in the last podcast, what would have to happen to really add any significant contract, I would think, would be, okay, shed some money, right? Steven Matz, you could trade him. Two years, $22 million left. Maybe you eat some of the money to, to accommodate a trade, but you'd be able to free up some, some cushion there by moving him. And then maybe that helps, but that really doesn't help jibe with the extent to which you would be adding to the payroll, not only for 2024, but like the next seven or eight years when it comes to Yamamoto, right? Like he's getting that massive contract. He's getting that bag of money. We don't know what the exact figure is going to be, but we can estimate six to eight years, 25 to 30 million in AAV, I would have to believe. So by the time you're in years, like like let's say that's what they're doing here. They're not just concerned about, hey, we're thinking about $200 million being our, our soft upper limit. Maybe it's a hard cap. I don't know. But about $200 million is about as far as we want to go in 2024. Okay, well, 2025 is going to happen. 2026 is going to happen. I don't imagine that they're just going to say at that point, we're up to 225. We're up to 240. Like, they're not just going to continue to raise that ceiling exponentially every year. And that's kind of the way it would feel is if you were accommodating a Yamamoto deal, because sure, you may be able to find a way to finagle it where maybe even you you pay down Yamamoto at the beginning and, and backload a contract on him. 
and that keeps you under the two hundred million. But eventually, the you got to pay the piper. So you'd be paying overpaying really Sonny Gray in 2026 the same time you'd be paying a bunch for Yamamoto the same time so that's where for me it's just hard to envision that one small move like that could signal the Cardinals willingness to go you know six seven eight years on Yamamoto maybe they were willing to do it anyway but my sense would be they always probably figured it would be more of a long shot but they knew they had to do something and they had to be active this offseason. So they started at the bottom. You know, how do you build a pyramid? You 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 start at the bottom. The foundation's got to be firm. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, 10, 12 million bucks to each of those guys. We know we're firm now at the bottom. This is the way the Cardinals are thinking about it. Okay, now let's see. Can we seriously engage with Yamamoto? Can we land him as our big fish? We know we like Sonny Gray, too. Maybe just adding Sonny Gray to go with the foundation we've already put together is the path of least resistance, which is not to say he's some sort of consolation prize, but a lot easier to to be able to facilitate that deal. But what happens if you get to the very end and you're the bridesmaid again on somebody and, and you were second place, second finisher, you're the runner-up for Yamamoto, but Sonny Gray is already signed by that point. And maybe, you know, Maybe Jordan Montgomery, there was some interest there, and they I, I don't happen to know on that one, but if if that was the case and then he's gone off the market, like the Cardinals don't control the market. They can only control what they do. And so I honestly credit the Cardinals for the way that they have been a little bit proactive. I'm not sure they've necessarily set the market because I don't know what the market was on the Kyle Gibsons and the Lance Lynns of the world, but the Cardinals cornered that market, if nothing else, adding guys like that that can be innings eaters, hopefully, at the back end of your rotation and and give you that veteran presence and the firm foundation for the rotation. They needed an ace. Sonny Gray was who they landed. Is it enough? Well, we talked a lot about that the other day. You should scroll back on the podcast feed by one or on the YouTube uh, channel at the recent videos. Talked a lot about it. I, You know, Sonny Gray, I think, is going to be a really good pitcher for the Cardinals. I think if you heard the press conference, he endeared himself to Cardinals fans, came in and said, I don't really have a lot to say. I didn't prepare any remarks, but had a lot to say ultimately. And and you could tell the passion was there, right? It, it maybe wasn't a, a dissertation, a, a fully fleshed out speech, but he, you, the, the, the genesis behind what he wanted to say, the purpose for it was there. And I think that's what Cardinals fans uh, respect and appreciate. So I think Cardinals fans are going to like Sonny Gray. Could they use more? Yeah, I think so. I think you're still kind of pining for that one more upside arm. Do you have a guy that can strike out 200 batters in a year? You really don't, right? Sonny Gray was 183 strikeouts in 184 innings last year, which is good. He was great. He had a 2.79 ERA. But if you're looking for just that elite swing and miss stuff to sort of counteract what you have in the middle and the bottom of the rotation, which is... You know, Miles Michaelis, one of the lowest K rates in baseball last year. Kyle Gibson, kind of right there with him. Lance Lynn could be a strikeout rate guy. He certainly was uh, with Chicago last year. But once he was traded to the Dodgers, which is where he actually had success with a 4.3 ERA instead of, you know, six or whatever it was with the White Sox in 2023, he he didn't have the same strikeout rate. And that was, it's not a huge sample, but it's a couple of months. Like it was enough to go, well, that's different. What, what was so different? 
I don't know exactly where he's going to land in St. Louis. I would bet, though, it's closer to like the eight, eight and a half Ks per nine than the nine and a half or ten that it was at the beginning, you know, the first four months of last year. So with that in mind, you've got maybe just a question mark in Steven Matz because I think he could strike out some batters, but he's got a he's got a pitch, he's got to be healthy. And I know it's not been the same injury every time for him, so it's a little unfair maybe to call him injury prone, but when you've had a guy on your team for two years and he's pitched only the number of innings that he's pitched, it just kind of that label is going to exist in such an important upcoming season for the Cardinals. They've got to be sure that they've got enough. So, sure, I think when you look at those five, you could probably say, yeah, you could use one more potential ace caliber arm in a guy that could strike out 200 batters in a, in a season. I think that would be an important benchmark. A guy like Tyler Glass now could do that if he pitched enough. You know, the rate is high enough. Blake Snell, I think he would have been really fascinating if you paired him with, you know, the notion of innings eaters and the rest of the rotation and say, hey, it doesn't really matter if Blake Snell goes five and a third every fifth day because he's probably striking out nine and, you know, he's, he's not going to allow very many runs. You have a great chance to win those games if you can get a lead and hold it with your bullpen. So having a guy like that in your rotation, I think, is actually it works really well if they can find one with the way the rest of the rotation now plots out. But are the Cardinals going to basically say, yeah, that's complicated because anybody that we add, you know, that that, that free agent pitcher coming in will have to know that, well, we've already got five, so they're going to have some questions. They can look and, and count to five and say, well, Steven Matz, what's your plan for him? You guys are paying him like a starter. I think it's difficult to attract another free agent for that reason. But, Guys who are traded here don't really have a say in that, do they? And at first, there may be some uncertainty, but you get a hold of the player and say, look, here's what our plan is for you. You're in our rotation. This other guy isn't, or he's going to be a swing man or whatever. I think you could make that happen and and ease any concerns a little better via trade because, well, the guys are coming against their will. They don't don't really have a choice. But I think, like Tyler Glass now, great example. Dylan sees... There are reports out that his trade market is heating up. Also saw some reports that Randy Rosarena could be on the block. Um, I don't think that, I don't think there's anything to note there for Cardinals fans. But wouldn't that be such a like Mosaic has heard about that trade nonstop for you know five seven years, however long it's been. And how perfect would it be for Mo to just go, hey, raise whatever it takes. You're giving me a Rosarena and Glass now. I, and, and like the like pretend the Cardinals just do a mega overpay, not because, you know, they they necessarily need a Rosarena. Like it'd be I, I, if you could play some good center field, I think he plays more in the corners, but you can play some center field. He would obviously be a great fit. Um, but just to like undo the damage from the trade that was made that people are. I, I said five, seven years in that context. I was thinking more about the Ozuna trade, but in the three to five years, whatever it's been, I'm not going to look it up since Libertor was traded to the Cardinals for Rosarena. I feel like Mo would just be like, what's it going to take? Like, give me a number. And they could say, well, he's not for sale. At least not to you get, no, just give me a number here. Here's a piece of paper, write a number down or like write the names down. Who are the prospects it's going to take? Just so the fan base will shut up, I can get a Rosarena back and it'll probably be decidedly average. But at least at that point, I won't have to hear about the Rosarena trade anymore. 
I don't think that's coming, but I did think it was kind of interesting. But like to the extent that a Rose Arena is on the block, like, okay, you got to think about it. The Rays, it seems like, are that team that all the time when, when their players that are good go on the block or are actually traded, it ends up kind of surprising us because we go, well, why would you trade that guy? He's, you know, really valuable player and really good. Well, you start to look at it. All right, well, when does he start to get paid? When does he, what's the arbitration status here? Well, he made $4 million this past season via the arbitration process. They agreed to that number before he had to go to a hearing. So that'll be a bump. I mean, it's the same reason, honestly, that they're looking to trade Glass now. They know he's got one year left and they're trying to extract value. But that tells you, like, if the Rays are balking at whatever, 8 to $10 million a Rosarain is probably going to make, you would have to think that they are willing to unload the Glass now money when he only gave him 120 innings. And that was like the good version of him that pitches a bunch. That's the most he's pitched. So to me, the Sonny Gray thing, having that contract be backloaded, I don't think the logic stands up to say that it signals Yamamoto. But could it signal Tyler Glass now? Or another, I mean, Dylan Cease is going to make 8 to $10 million this year via ARB as well. Could that signal the Cardinals going, look, this creates the room for a short-term high-dollar asset that we could use? I could absolutely see you do some dot connecting of Sonny Gray's backloaded contract to a trade for a guy like Glass now, or even Dylan Cease, who by the time, I think Dylan Cease only has, a, I want to say, a couple of years before he's free agent eligible which obviously if it goes well, the Cardinals would want to sign him and extend him. But he, uh, he'll he have 2024 and then I believe 2025 and then he'll be a free agent. So before the gray deal gets kicked up to $35 million, Dylan Cease would be off the books or would be baked into whatever they want to do with him in terms of an extension. So I, I think that could make sense as well. But class now is the one that makes the most sense, if I could be completely honest. That would be the one that would point most obviously to why you'd want to backload something. And maybe it's not even that specific for the Cardinals because they don't know if they're going to be able to trade for glass now yet. But let's say they just know they've got to fill that bullpen out and the bullpen arms that you sign are going to be, you know, I insert reliever that you've never heard of here to a two-year, $10 million deal, $5 million per year. Okay, you can you can get two of those guys now with the cushion that backloading Gray has provided you, and those guys will be gone before you ever have to pay the piper on Sonny Gray in 2026. And by the way, I guess I should have added the the club option stuff. That's where the other five million comes from. There's a buyout basically that is factoring into the 75 million total because I gave you 10, 25, 35. It's actually only $70 million for Sonny Gray over the three years. There's a $5 million buyout, though, if the Cardinals do not pick up his club option for $30 million, which I also believe John Heyman puts in here, if the club exercises the option for 2027, which if Sonny Gray is worth even close to $30 million by 2027, that's great news for how the contract went. But the player can evidently opt out of it, and I guess then would get the $5 million in a different form. Heyman worded this and said the player may opt out for $5 million. 
I, I assume that means he's not paying $5 million to the Cardinals. I would think he would be receiving the $5 million that was part of the buyout anyway, but would be the installments would just be different if the player decides he wants to move on. Nevertheless, I think a couple of relievers, because the Cardinals do need to fix up the bullpen a little bit. We haven't talked a lot about it yet because we were focusing on first things first. But like Jojo Romero coming back as a, a back-end guy on the left side. Ryan Helsley's still around on the right side. Gallego's not maybe as confident in him as the eighth-inning guy or, or certainly a ninth-inning guy anymore. But I, I still think it'd be a nice part of that back-end mix if it's the seventh or whatever it is. And then you kind of go, okay, John King showed nicely. He acquitted himself pretty well as a lefty in that mix but not really leveraged, so more of the lower end on the totem pole lefty. You've got him and Romero now. Who else are going to, you know, what's Libertor's story going to be? Is he going to be in the rotation in Memphis? Is he going to be in that major league bullpen? Wouldn't shock me to see Libertor come to spring. He's throwing 99 or something and like a one-inning stint, and they say, guess what? Now Libby's a reliever. Like if I had to predict, that would be the way that goes. Just reading some tea leaves on that one because I think they want Zach Thompson to have a shot as a starter a little bit more than they really afforded to give him this year because he started as a reliever. And then I think midway they, they went back and said, Hey, we're going to send you down, be a starter, stretch you out. I think they want to see that process for him for an off season, whereas they've seen it with Libertor and maybe the answer for him is going the other direction. And so maybe he's your third lefty. Um, I know there are names I'm forgetting, but I think you could use some, some octane right-handers, at least one for the back end, and maybe even a lefty. Like, it doesn't really matter what arm he throws with. You've got Polante that's going to be part of that mix, but not really the leverage mix. So I, I definitely think there could be room for a couple guys that are making 5 to $8 million in that bullpen. And I always say quantity over quality in that you shouldn't spend up on a guy that you think is quality because by the time you're paying him, that's probably when his arm is ready to fall off. That is the nature of relief pitching. So find, you know, identify those guys in that other bucket because there's a decent chance if you sign a guy to a two-year, $6 million deal for $3 million a, a, per year with incentives, that that guy could end up being pretty good. He's and, and I don't know what the threshold is. I don't know what the gap is on that, but, like, would you rather have a guy at, you know, two years, four million a year for eight million, or the guy that's making sixteen million over two and, and getting eight million per year. Value wise, sometimes those guys in that four million dollar bucket end up working out better and they cost you half as much. That's the one area where I'm so willing to see the Cardinals skimp is relief pitching. It's not to say don't get anybody. But every year, there are guys in that bucket where, for whatever reason, recent performance, injury, whatever the case might be, they can't, they're not getting a two year, $16 million deal on the free agent market. But they're getting two years and five, or two years and eight total, or two years and 10 total. Just get a couple of those guys because one of them, like, rather than give a reliever $10 million and do it for two years, and so it's a $20 million contract. I'd take two relievers that are valued as long as you're doing your homework and scouting and trying to get the right guys, of course. You, you're not just going to pull names out of a hat. But I'd take the guy the Cardinals believe in. I'd take two of those guys at $5 million per year rather than one of them at ten, 
just because I think that of the three, two of them are probably going to be busted. And so there's a chance that one of your $5 million men ends up being a good back-end reliever. When I say busted, a variety of things can happen to relief pitchers. They can get hurt. They can just stop being effective for whatever reason. Bullpens are fickle. So I'm always about quantity over quality. The, the problem is the Cardinals honestly took that approach last year. And they, I think they just backed the wrong horses. They picked the wrong guys. The guys they picked happened to get hurt or happened to just not perform very well. They had a bunch of dudes. I was there at spring training. They were all on the schedule throwing. They just didn't really make an impact, right? You had high hopes for Connor Thomas out of the Arizona Fall League. You had high hopes for, uh, you know, Zuniga was showing stuff in spring a couple of times, but didn't end up panning out. Wilking Rodriguez was the talk of, you know, February 2nd, and then he got hurt. So I, I think it's okay to dip into those buckets. I'm not going to criticize the Cardinals for skimping in terms of how much they spend on relief pitching. Just identify a little bit better this time around. Because when you have a bucket of eight or ten guys and you go throughout the year, some of these guys are going to have to show up on our roster, and then virtually none of them do, or the ones that do just aren't effective, that's how you end up having to basically just from scratch in the middle of July or whenever it was, say, Casey Lawrence, you're signed. You know, Jacob Barnes, you're signed. Like, they just had to sign a bunch of random dudes who later turned out, you know, they filled some innings for you. Like, Andrew Suarez was signed as a non-roster guy at the beginning of the season. And it wasn't until they had waved the white flag that they thought, Hey, Andrew Suarez, we're just going to bring him up. Cause we, you know, he's down there. They need to be, I think a little bit more effective in shopping in that lower shelf, which is a fine place to shop for relief pitching, but be more effective at it. Does the sunny gray deal though, being backloaded the way that it is afford the Cardinals to, to shop on a little bit higher of a shelf, I'm not saying top shelf, but can they get, a, you know, a glass to put their beverage in, right? Can you at least have a shot at this rather than we're just going to, you know, scrounge at the bottom of the barrel and see what, if any of that ends up being worthwhile, they're going to, they're going to have some well liquor and they're going to, they're going to sit at the bar and they're going to order a, a few drinks because, you know, Maybe the more you have, the better it tastes. I don't know. Like, it, I think it's a case where if you've got an extra five to ten million to spend, and you know that's kind of where the Cardinals find themselves. Honestly, it's fifteen million if you really want to be adherent to going from twenty-five million down to ten in terms of what is being allotted to Sonny Gray this year. That could turn into something if the Cardinals play their cards right. And I think even if you don't do that, we have seen. 22, 23 million allotted to Gibson and Lynn, 25 to Gray. So call it 50. I mean, that's we're we're over what it actually is. We're very conservatively estimating here. Call it 50. The Cardinals were supposedly going to have 55 to 60 to 65 million to play with, depending on who got non-tendered and you know the the different machinations there. So with that in mind, even if Sonny Gray's deal wasn't so backloaded. I think the Cardinals would have had some room to maneuver for bullpen help. Now I think they can be a little more aggressive if if some if the right fit comes along. And then we'll see about what they do in terms of the the position player market. I don't think they're signing anybody more than a bench bat. And if they do, we'll scratch our heads and go, "Well, what did you sign all those random guys for? Buddy Kennedy and all those other guys, Jared Young, 
what was that for if you're just going to sign another bench bat to a to the 40 man but maybe they'll do it just because it happens sometimes especially at winter meetings and they justify it and then six months later we never saw anything of the guy or whatever but I'm looking at that going relief pitching you could absolutely use some of this money on and wait and see as far as position players because I think this is the week to two week period where the Cardinals need to trade an outfielder trade one and I'm not trying to just kick somebody out of town but they've got too many Newpar needs to be your left fielder day one all right Ollie Marmel last day of the season couldn't have been more clear he kind of you know kind of had loosened up a little bit because the season was over and so he felt like some of the stuff he could say that you wouldn't say if you had a game to play tomorrow which is not to say he was being disingenuous before, but it's a little bit different when you're managing in-season versus the season's over, and it's actually like not like over like it was in on August 1st, but over-over, as in you don't have to manage a game the next day. He he basically said, you know, we like Lars Newbar more in the corners. He's done a nice job in center, but I think we think our his best role would be in, in a corner spot. And so that was kind of a signal to me, like that may be the way organizationally they look at it. And if it is, that's great. But what do they do with the other spots? Like one of them is going to be Jordan Walker's and and he may be DHing more than otherwise if, if he's not taking that step forward defensively, but he's going to be in right field, new bar and left, who's in center. If it's Edmund, I think you're banking a lot on Mason Wynn just having no growing pains. And being able to be your everyday guy. If that works out, then it's a it's a great gambit, and it works out. But I I don't know. Like until we see it, how do we know? Tommy Edmond was great defensively in center. We know what he brings as a spark plug. But at the same time, his numbers against right-handed pitching just haven't been there. Will the Cardinals try to get him to not switch hit? I mean, I I don't think that's crazy at this point. But it also feels like a very difficult conversation to broach and to. You know, one, you can't really enforce, I don't think, you know, like, it, and they're not trying to, they're not trying to force the hand of a, of a guy who says, I, I mean, switch hitting is what I've always done. It's what I'm comfortable doing. But like, these are the things that you kind of wonder of like, what has to happen for Edmund to command center field and the lineup flow the way that it needs to with enough production from all the spots, if he's going to do that. And if Mason's going to be the shortstop every day and how do they handle second base if it's going to just be Gorman? Because I don't think they're going to trade Gorman. I don't think they're going to trade Donovan. I I, I mean, they could, but I, I really don't think they want to. So at this point, I I would be shocked if either of those moves happen um, to, to land the big pitcher that could be the ace at the front with, with Sonny Gray. I just don't think it comes at the expense of those guys. I think they really appreciate the depth that they have in that position player group. But the outfield is where it still needs to be kind of reshuffled a little bit to me and if you basically have three guys four guys that you go like the guy I don't know if he's got an everyday role that's okay to have a couple of those guys you can't have four of them and right now I feel like you have Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are in that boat Burleson is in that boat although he can be a little more flexible and and he you got to have a backup first baseman capable and Donovan can do that too but it's fine to have Burleson in the role that he's in but especially if you're committing to Tommy Edmond in center field you cannot justify Carlson and O'Neill on the roster both next year I just I think it's time to reshuffle those spots at least one of them and then you have a, a guy like Richie Palacios be the fourth outfielder where he doesn't have to play every day 
But when it comes to O'Neal riding the bench, it's just there are too many implications of that, of how that's going to flow with the roster. I think Palacios, man, he'd just be thrilled to stay on the, you know what I mean? Like, he got his opportunity, he ran with it. That doesn't mean he's instantly going to be an everyday guy. And I think he's okay with that, and I think he can be okay with that. And I think he can thrive in that role. Did Carlson thrive in the don't know when I'm going to play, if I'm going to play role? Did O'Neal? I don't think either of those guys thrived last year. Like them both, but I think the Cardinals have got to make a decision. Could be a tough one. Maybe you're just getting a reliever, and you may not even love the reliever you're getting, but it's to to make your roster make more sense because you can't go into next year with the the six outfielder thing again. It just isn't going to work. So that would be kind of where I'm at on the Cardinals. Like, would would it be great to sign an outfielder? Sure, but I don't think they're going to use the money, like the Sunny Gray extra money that they find to sign an outfielder. I think before you can even think about bringing in an outfielder, you've got to trade a couple of them. And it might make the most sense to do that, but it's back to that C word, complicated, where we're talking about three separate transactions that Mosellock and company have to physically exact. They have to do them in order for that to take place. So I, I, I think that might be a lot to ask. We'll see, though. I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. You could see something on the trade front, and the bullpen market is what I would expect to heat up next with the possibility, still the outside possibility of a trade for a starting pitcher. And if you were going to go that route, I think it's the glass now route 100% of the way because I also think you could potentially send Steven Matz back in that deal and make the money work out. And doesn't mean you're not going to still have to pay a decent prospect or a decent player or two to get Tyler Glass now, but I, I, I could see it being worthwhile just to have the roster make more sense on paper because the Cardinals roster didn't make sense last year, and I think it kind of came back to bite him. Those are my thoughts, though, on the Sonny Gray backloaded contract. What do you think, Cardinals fans? Let me know in the YouTube comments section below. Interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Appreciate you, as always, for listening, though. That is going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll be back in a couple of days. If there's news that breaks, I'll try to get on over the weekend and say some things for you guys. But stay tuned on YouTube regardless. Um, because that's where the the likely updates are going to come this weekend, if any. Not likely to be a full podcast until probably Sunday night. But appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily. Peace.